short time ago, an American airplane dropped one bomb on Hiroshima. Ich bin ein Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this. Welcome back to the Cold War, episode 39. <laughs> you know, Poland is kind of the butt plug of Europe, Ray. It's sort of jammed right. in there between oh, Germany God. and Russia. A little bit of, little bit of shit on the tip. Um, <laughs> because it's been pulled out so and stuck back in so many people. times. I mean, twist, turn. Yeah, mm. yeah. Mm. Well used. <laughs> We're in hour three of our recording today. In case you hadn't worked it out by how it started off, we've lost That's all of right. our cognitive faculties. Time, everything. <clears throat> um, as I said at the end of episode 38, um, according to Churchill himself, uh, Poland was discussed at seven out of the eight meetings at Yalta, and uh, the British record of the Yalta meetings contained 18,000 words between the big three talking about Poland. So this is why we are still talking about Poland ourselves, because it's a big deal. Now, Winnie and Frank were at Yalta, and they both got a telegram from the Prime Minister of the Polish government in exile, a.k.a. Mm -hmm. the London Poles, Tomasz Archisewski. Now, he pleaded with them not to betray the Polish people. Um, now, first question is, why would he be suspicious that the Americans and the British were about to betray the Polish people? Oh, I don't know. Um, what's more important to them, getting along with Stalin, the new power in Eastern Europe, or appeasing the Poles who can't seem to fight anybody? And are the butt plug of Europe. And uh, the butt I can't believe we said that. Oh, my God. So that's the next T-shirt we've got to make, or the coffee mugs. Poland, the butt plug, the in the butt plug of, of Poland. Yeah, yeah. He wrote, I trust you will not permit any decisions to be taken which might jeopardize the legitimate rights of Poland or her independence, mm. and that you will not recognize any fates complete with regard to Poland. Now, it kind of sounds like a letter from someone who knew he was about to get butt-fucked, <laughs> right. but without a butt-plug. Right. Maybe that's why Poland is the butt-plug of Europe, because because they've been ass-fucked so many times by the <laughs> rest knows, of the world. Yeah. Well, they just keep a butt-plug in there to prevent themselves from getting ass-fucked. Ah, you know? that's see? brilliant. So if you see me walking funny in Australia... Yeah. Anyway... So, quick question: Why? What is the purpose of writing this letter if he suspects? And I think you're correct. I think he does suspect that he's about to be bent over. What's the point of writing the letter? What does he hope it will achieve? Is is it supposed to induce guilt between Churchill and FDR to hopefully change their mind, maybe fight a little harder for Poland? Might be it, but I also think it's part of the historical ah, record. I mean, people gotcha. can't turn around and say to him, well, you didn't do anything, Tomas. Good they point. They can go, well, hey, A, I was wearing my butt plug. B, 
it. <laughs> I, I wrote a letter. I mean, come on. Two what else letters. do you want me to do? Two letters. I'm, a, I'm the head of a government in exile. You yeah. know, I wrote two letters. Right. Like, come on. It's the same letter he just copied. It changed the name at the top. Erased it FDR and put in Churchill. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Now, on his first night in Yolda, Churchill stayed up late, had a meeting with Eden, and uh, said, The Americans are profoundly ignorant of the Polish problem. At Malta, I mentioned to them the independence of Poland and was met with the retort, but surely that isn't at stake. Yeah, I I take offense at that as an American. Now, I will totally grant that FDR himself did not seem to get or want to get any of the details, but that's what his staffs are for. Um, and, and, and to prove that that's not really true, when they were on Malta, before they got to Yalta, Statinius and Eden had pretty much worked out a very, very basic plan about if we can't get our way, maybe we can get an interim government in Poland. They can set up elections and let Poland itself decide. But that's a pretty piss poor plan to, be, to come to Yalta when they pretty much have no or almost no cards to play. Yeah. <clears throat> so if Eden and Statinius had had that meeting, maybe they had it after Churchill had decided that the Americans didn't know anything about Polish issues. Could be. Yeah. I know, it's just a really weird statement for him to make. And it's coming from the British record, obviously, of the meeting, and maybe from Soviet tapes of the meetings, because um, they were bugging everything that happened in Churchill's stateroom, right. his bedroom. <laughs> Just hey, just real quick, just, just to just give everybody a reason why. Excuse me, three reasons why Poland is so difficult. Because I mean, this the Polish question has everything in it that they pretty much either don't want to talk about or they don't have an answer to. It's pretty much you know the relations between a great power and a small power. Attentions, you know, it's between their vision of a world peace organization and what has been going on for the last ten thousand or fifteen thousand years. Spheres of influence being used by everybody, and it pretty much is flying in the face of again the reality of Soviet boots on the ground. So this Polish question has all of these things that they don't know how to deal with individually all wrapped up inside this one question, and what in the hell are they going to do? And they don't have too many options anyways. And I think the British and the Americans see it while they're at Yalta as the acid test of whether or not they're going to be able to get along with the Soviets. Um, ah, right. But as you've said, and I've said, the Soviets were determined that they had to control Poland. It was a matter of life and death, according to Stalin. As I think you said in the last episode... Or the one before that, it was the largest country bordering the USSR, and it had been invaded. Russia had been invaded twice through Poland in living memory. Uh, it was the primary weak point in their ability to protect their security, particularly from you know Germany. But they knew the American and British position on Poland going into the Alter Conference, A, because it had come up in discussions before, and B, because they were spying on them and knew everything that they thought. <laughs> now, Frank kicks off the discussion about Poland on February 6th, after they've already discussed Germany and the UN, mm -hmm. and he announces it with a bit of a bombshell. What was that bombshell, Ray? 
well, as far as I know, he was pretending, or I'm not sure if I should use that word, he was pretending to be impartial when it came to the Polish question. He says to them, I come from a great distance and therefore have the advantage of a more distant point of view of the problem. So he's basically saying, Churchill, present your side, Stalin, present your side, and I will, as I have done before on other issues, will you know cast the deciding vote. So we now know that that was not the case. He was not completely impartial. How could he be? But he was trying to butter up Stalin for the last couple of days for this very moment when he would be able to deliver a vote that Stalin would not agree with, but hopefully go along with anyway. Now, what he said was uh, that he wanted... Stalin to agree to move the Soviet-Polish border Mm. in favour of the Poles. Mm. Now, that's not going to get Joe on side straight off the bat. (laughs) Um, Particularly when Stalin and Churchill had more or less agreed back in Tehran that Mm -hmm. the border would be the Curzon line. As a reminder for people who don't remember what the Curzon line was, um, after World War One, when Germany and the Austro-Hungarian Empire had been defeated, Russia was out of the war after the revolution, Poland was given autonomy for the first time in a couple of hundred years, the Supreme War Council, which was created by the British Prime Minister, David Lloyd George, put together a commission on Polish affairs Part of their job was to recommend Poland's eastern border, the one that borders uh, Russia. Now, Lord Curzon of Great Britain, Mm -hmm. uh, he was the British Foreign Secretary at the time, suggested a particular border. It became known as the Curzon Line. And as we discussed many, many episodes ago, then the Polish-Soviet war broke out because the Polish decided that Russia was weak after World War One and their civil war, so they attacked Russia. Mm. Uh, and the whole thing fell apart. Lenin said no to the border, so did the Poles. And then the Soviets were defeated by the Poles in 1921. And under the Treaty of Riga, Poland ended up with a new border, about 250 kilometres into Soviet territory. Right. Uh, now, the Curzon line, which was also the line, uh, it's now known as the Molotov-Ribbentrop line Ooh. because it was part of the the line that the Germans and the Russians agreed to in their pact. They didn't like calling it that because it was, <laughs> no, no, that's, we'll go back to the, we'll go back to calling it after the British guy. We don't want to call it after the Nazis. No, what are you, what deal are you talking about? No idea what you're talking about. Yeah. Don't remember doing that. Must have been drunk. It's a British idea, this How line. How could you not like it? Lord Curzon. They'd already agreed, but Frank goes, nah, nah, we want to make some concessions to the Polish. Now, he wanted to take the city of Lviv, or Lvov, Lviv, L-V-I-V, or L-V-O-V, depending on which spelling you're taking on. Mm-hmm. It was a predominantly uh, Polish region, a little island of Poles in Ukraine, effectively, right. surrounded by Ukrainians. And it, he also wanted to take the oil fids of Drobovich. Would you call me? Not Dropovich, <laughs> Drobovich. <laughs> and uh, he wanted to move those into Poland as yes. well. 
just take this wanted line, to redraw the border. Yeah. Yeah. No big deal. Now, what was his argument for that, Ray? For what? For the uh, for the Polish to move the line for, over? What was his argument to Stalin for why he wanted to move the Polish border? Wait, whose argument? Hold on. What was Roosevelt's argument to Stalin for wanting to move the border to include those oh, regions? Gotcha. Okay, sorry. Do yeah. I need to speak more slowly, Ray? No, I, as far as I can remember, it wasn't supposed to be drawn along ethnic lines to keep the Poles pretty much together because it had been and had a lot of Poles and Jews in it, obviously, before World War II, because after everything that's happened, uh, there's a lot of Ukrainians there. But I think they were trying to be respectful of the of the different um, the, the Ukrainians and the Poles. Yeah, that's not really how he positioned it to Stalin, though. That might have had something to do with it. What he said to Stalin was, look, there are six or seven million Poles in the United States. Mm. Give me something to take back and they to vote. them. <laughs> and they vote. He's not talking about ethics or principles or ethnic lines. He's like, look, I know you don't have to get elected, but do. <laughs> do. Do. Like, give me something that I can take back to the polls in America. He said, most Poles, like the Chinese, want to save face. I'm not making a definite statement, but I hope Marshal Stalin can make a gesture in this direction. Throw me he a basically bone, said, buddy. yeah, it's going to be easier for my party to get re-elected by the Poles yeah. if you give me something. It's about political expediency. It's yeah. not about, you know, caring a fuck about the polls. It's about, except for the ones that are in the United States, <laughs> it doesn't really give a shit about the polls in Poland. Right. It's about getting votes out of the polls in America. And in all seriousness, this is how a lot of policy is determined. Yeah, unfortunately. What's going to win me the most votes in the next election? Of course, they can't say that, so... President Roosevelt, uh, why did you uh, why did you renegotiate the border? What was that all about? Oh, well, because uh, the polls vote, the Polak vote, man. That's why we did it. Can't you can't come out and say that? Oh, we right. did it for the Polak vote. He goes to go. Well, you know, uh, ethnic lines and fucking God promised it to them in the Bible four thousand years ago, and I, any. Sort I want of to shit. win a fifth election, and I yeah. really could use their vote when I get when I get back. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, Winnie has got the same problem. He's got an election coming up. He's worried about how it's going to play back home. As he said, you know, we we ended up in this fucking war because <laughs> of the butt plug of Europe. Right. I can't give it up. What are we? What do we go to war for? What am I going to say? We gave up the butt plug? We, they got invaded by Germany. Now they get invaded by the Soviets. People go, well, what was the point of the war? And again, it's about the election coming up. Churchill and Roosevelt are worried about Poland when they're at Yalta in a large part because of how it's going to play in their next elections back Damn. home, how it's going to play in the media, how the people are going to care. Which is and of course, a- Stalin... Stalin's yeah. like, like, tell someone who gives a shit. My name is Paul, and this is between you all. I don't give a shit. See my T-shirt? It says, not my fucking problem. That's what it says. 
Well, well, not only that, but just the way FDR puts it to Stalin. I mean, he is literally like, hey, I'm just throwing this out. Uh, you know, <laughs> if you could, if you could throw a bone this way, it's, it's, it's just I'm, I'm just bringing up the topic. Nothing more there. I said it. It's out. It's floating in the air. Stalin, take it. Take it from me. Take it. I mean, he's literally being passive aggressive. He's trying to be almost like kiss Stalin's ass, just hoping Stalin is going to make this grand gesture. You are right. I will give all the oil and all this land back. Yeah, fuck that. I mean, he is here to do a deal and to take care of himself. So you have to give FDR props for trying, but it wasn't a very convincing proposition. I actually um, have a recording of Roosevelt in the meeting. Gentlemen, I have a plan. It's called blackmail. As you know, the royal family of Britain are the wealthiest landowners in the world. Either the royal family pays us an exorbitant amount of money or we make it seem that Prince Charles has had an affair outside of marriage and therefore would have to divorce. Prince Charles did have an affair. He admitted it, and they are now divorced. Right, okay, people, you have to tell me these things, all right? I've been frozen for 30 years, okay? Throw me a frickin' bone here. I'm the boss. Need the info. Okay, no problem. <laughs> that was... <laughs> that's where I was going with that. Uh, throw me a frickin' bone, Okay. Yeah, um, but see, what, what's amazing to me is that, you know, give me a gesture. You're talking about oil fields. You're talking about hundreds of kilometers of land. I mean, this is a big freaking mm-hmm. deal. I don't see how they expected this to work. Yeah. Now, of course, at the time, the Soviets controlled both of these regions, having run the Nazis out. So why would they give them up? Exactly. Harriman, Avril Harriman, told an amusing story. In November of 1944, when he visited Washington to discuss issues with FDR. He found FDR sitting around um, playing with a butt plug, and he said, what are you thinking about, Poland? He goes, yeah, yeah, Poland. Um, Said he was trying to come up with a solution to the Lviv problem. And uh, Harriman later wrote, the president developed a fantastic idea that Stalin might agree to have the city, which was a... Polish island in a city of Ukrainian peasants governed by an international yeah. committee, leaving it for future plebiscites to decide the outcome. I tried to tell him that it was impossible to have a Polish capitalistic city in a Ukrainian socialistic countryside, <laughs> but the president saw no problem with that. He said the peasants could come to Lviv and sell their produce to Poles for rubles. Aww. That was the level of FDR's thinking on how they were going to get around the problem. So greed and commerce was supposed to solve that. I do know the backstory to that one. I think FDR just got his legs rubbed by his mistress because she would come in and rub his legs and she was Polish? The flow of blood. <laughs> <laughs> and I think, I think the flow of blood got a little carried away, went to his brain, and he came up with this brilliant idea that absolutely had no chance of working. Mm. Very American point of view. Commerce can solve everything. There you go. Now, probably as a surprise to the Americans, uh, when the whole issue of Poland was being discussed on February 6th, Churchill supports this position of moving the border. 
It's a border that he and Stalin have already agreed to. The one that Curzon came up to, and yeah, Churchill's like, eh, yeah, you know what? Yeah. Actually, good argument. Huh, yeah, FDR makes a good point. Uh, now, but, but here's, as I, yeah, sorry, go. On. But here's the thing, though. I mean, even though Ch- uh, Churchill and Stalin have agreed to this back in Russia to Churchill, and you have to remember, Churchill is a uh, an 18th century, excuse me, an 1800s man, 19th century man. His thinking is, you know what? The Russians have earned it. They almost got their ass kicked. Well, they did get their ass kicked, but they come roaring back. They're saving everybody. They're they're wiping out the Germans. They're liberating all these countries. You know what? They fucking earned it because that's the kind of mentality he has. And he has a mentality of, look, I've got an election coming up in a couple of months. So, uh, yeah, man, like, throw me a frickin' bone, okay? He said... Um, that he and Eden had been criticised by members of their own party for supporting mm. the Curzon line. But uh, he believed that the Soviet claim was based on force. Sorry, not on force, but on right. They've made sacrifices in the war. Uh, yeah. But, he said, if, if however, <laughs> a mighty power like Russia were to make a gesture of magnanimity towards a much weaker power and were to make some territorial concessions, such as suggested by the president, he need not say how much. We should both admire and acclaim the Soviet action. Basically saying, you know what, if you did this, we would all think you're a really nice guy. (laughs) We'd slap you on the back, hell, slap you on the ass, high five, whatever. We could cheer your name. Fuck all that. Stalin is here for real, for real world issues. But we would, we would really appreciate it. Stalin's had how many thousands of people in his own like fucking party killed? All right. of his own generals, all Three of his villages. own political opponents. Yeah, a million people dead, and he's like, really? You're asking me? You're asking me to do this? Your vodka. You're asking me to do this to be a nice guy. Really? This is your fucking argument. Have you not met me? This is me. (laughs) Can you imagine what he must have been thinking in this meeting? Right. They're asking (laughs) him to give up this territory in order to be a nice guy and help them win an election. But but I love this next part. Right before Yalta, in late January, Churchill's meeting with the war cabinet, and there's some rumors going around. And you know how governments are. They base everything on rumors, like it's junior high school. And there's there's this rumor going around that Stalin is going to make this grand gesture at Yalta. And they're thinking, ooh, maybe he's going to give Lviv to Poland. And I've also heard that maybe he's going to build a great new city for Ukraine for the area so they can have a capital. And, you know, Eden is like, well, yeah, I can see him maybe building a city because freaking Ukraine was wiped out by the Germans and we had to finish wiping it out to take it from the Germans. But there's no fucking way he's going to give over Lviv. But the point is, they've got their hopes based, as far as I can tell, on a rumor that Stalin is going to say or do something that's going to shock them to make a grand gesture. To me, this is nothing more than naivete and wishful thinking for him to give up this valuable piece of real estate. And you just wonder what kind of mindset they came into Yalta with, you know, based on some rumors. They were right, though. He did make a grand gesture. He pulled out a huge big butt plug, (laughs) threw it on the table and said... (laughs) Who gives me whoever gives me what I want gets this. Yeah. Sit on it. 
<laughs> now, the biggest issue um, regarding Poland at Yolda was the composition of the Polish government moving forwards. Now, as we've discussed previously, there were two different Polish governments at the time. There was the London-based government in exile, led by Tomasz Aczewski, mm-hmm. while the Soviets recognised the, the, the Polish government in Poland, the so-called Lublin government, which was, right. Lublin was a suburb of Warsaw, where these guys were based at the time. And obviously the Lublin Poles were communist supporters, you know, communists in league with the Soviets. The other guys were in league with the British and the Americans. And so this was the issue that they had to figure out how to move forwards with. So Roosevelt uh, moved on from the border issue. He suggested that a council could be formed to appoint a government composed of representatives of the five main Polish parties, including the communists and the archbishop of Krakow, uh, who was a guy called Adam Stefan Safia, uh, who was the mentor of Karol Josef Wojtyla, who went on to become Pope John Paul II. Woo! And that they should have free elections as soon as practical. This is the plan that the British and the Americans had previously kind of worked out with the London Poles. Keep in mind, though, as I said in previous episodes, the British hated the Poles. The Poles hated the British. There was no love lost between these guys at all. They all hated each other, but... uh, Well, here's the other part. Stalin might not have finished seminary school, but he could count to five. And if we take representatives from the five leading parties, (laughs) one of them being communist... Won't my communist representatives be outnumbered four to one? And again, I just want to throw this out. It's my troops that are in Poland. It's my troops that have liberated whatever part of Poland has been liberated. So tell me again why in the heck I'm going to go along with this not good idea. FDR said one thing must remain certain. Poland should remain the most friendly and cooperative relations with the Soviet Union. Now, really, Stalin, come yeah, back. Stalin interjected, Poland should maintain friendly relations not only with the Soviet Union, but with the other allies. Yeah. And Roosevelt said, yeah, yeah, that's what <laughs> I meant. Yeah, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if you're Stalin, you're thinking, okay, if the communists in Poland are outnumbered five to one, the government is going to be non-communist, and how right. are they going to maintain good relations with us? Like, how is that going to work? It's pie-in-the-sky bullshit. It's just not going to work. Actually, I did think of something. If you go into the Polish government's brains and you dig out the part that remembers <laughs> the Molotov-Ribbentrop Pact yeah. and that the Soviets invaded 17 days later after the Germans, I think everything would have been fine. <laughs> it, eternal sunshine of the spotless mind model. Just... <laughs> Put them in, zap, put the, put a neuralizer in front of them, zap them, and it's all good. And yeah. when he snapped back at Roosevelt, Roosevelt just said, hey, look, it was just an idea. Just an idea. Hey, <laughs> just kill me. Throwing just that thinking. out there, buddy. Thinking you don't out loud. react. Suck on your pipe. He said, I thought if I could solve the Polish question, it would be a great help to all of us. Oh, Meaning no in our upcoming elections. <laughs> Churchill agreed that Poland should harbor... No hostile design or intrigue against the USSR. But again, how are they going to ensure that? I mean, they it's just... Yeah. 
again from Stalin st- came back with YouTube Butterball. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> it's just you know, uh, it just it blows my mind, Ray, that Poland was such a big issue for Churchill and Roosevelt, and yet they went into Yalta with nothing. They've yeah. got nothing to yeah. put on the table. Absolutely yeah. nothing. Nada. Zip. Hey, just, hey, Joe, can you do us a big solid? That's it. Do me, do me a solid, big Joe. We haven't gotten to it yet, but there's, to make it even worse, there's, uh, Churchill thinks he's got one card to play, and it turns out that that's not even a real card, but he's holding it. And basically what he's saying is, you know, at some point, Stalin's going to need us to confirm decisions. He's going he's gonna to need us to, to go along with it. And if we're going to lose everything, maybe we can use this one trump card to get something we really want. And But as Anthony Eden is going to tell him later, it doesn't fucking matter. Their troops are on the ground. They owned the territory. All they have to do is stall and wait. If they don't get what they want now, they'll just say, well, okay, we'll decide later. Because, you know, possession is 11 tenths of the law. They've already got the territory. This is a non-issue. But I, I guess my question is, do you have to give... FDR and Churchill props for trying or do they know they're going to lose and they just have to go through the motions? I mean, I would really love to know what was going on in their heads and hearts. A bit like the uh, Prime Minister of the Poles in exile, Archisevsky. He said, hey, look, I wrote a letter. Come on. What more does you want me to do? I wrote a letter. <laughs> I pleaded in it. Look, yeah. yeah. Look, we asked. Yeah. We asked. He said no. I mean, look, there's me what do you want me to do? Right there. Yeah. Line three. Yeah. Can't say I didn't ask. <laughs> now, of course, it's important to remember that the problem with Poland goes way, way back, way, way before World War Two. Right. As Churchill himself later wrote, the difficulties and the problems were ancient, multitudinous, and imperative. Mm. It's a word I don't no. use often enough, multitudinous, Try but to. got to work that into my lexicon. And, of course, the Russians still remembered 1921, when they were weak and the Poles attacked them. And, of course, the Poles, remember, they'd been divided up before that by the Russians yeah. and other countries. It goes, you know, the problems go way, way back. And everyone hates each other. There's tensions, all sorts of gripes that go back. It's like the Middle East today. It's like yeah. the Israelis and the Palestinians or the, the Sunni and the Shia and the Americans and everybody. It goes way, way back. Now, Churchill reminded Stalin that it was for this that we had gone to war against Germany, that Poland should be free and sovereign. Everyone knew what a terrible risk we had taken. Actually, rather than me read it, let's play an actual clip from the actual meeting. Nice. I want to see the Poles have a home where they can organise their lives as they wish. It must not be forgotten that Great Britain went to war to protect Poland against German aggression at a time when, because of our unpreparedness, that decision was most risky. It almost cost us our life as a nation. The question is one of honor. Because we drew the sword for Poland against Hitler's brutal attack, my government will therefore never be content with a solution which does not leave Poland a free and independent state. 
Mr. Churchill has said that for Great Britain, the question of Poland is one of honor. I can understand that. For Russians, Poland is not only a question of honor, but of security. The point is, throughout history, Poland was a corridor for enemies to attack Russia. In the last 30 years, Germany has twice passed through this corridor easily. Why were they able to do this? Because Poland was so weak. Russia wants a strong, independent, and a democratic Poland. Why? Because it is impossible for Russia's forces alone to close this corridor from the outside. It has to be done from the inside by Poland's own forces. That is why we want a strong and independent Poland. Because Poland is a question of life and death for us. As to the question of the Polish government, it will be difficult to bring all the Poles together. The Poles we support, the Warsaw Poles, won't even talk about a fusion government to the London Poles. I am prepared to support any attempt that would offer some chance of success. What is to be done? I wish to thank Marshal Stalin for his remarks. We have different sources of information. Perhaps I am mistaken, but I doubt that the Warsaw Poles represent even one third of the Polish people. I do not believe they would be maintained in power if the people were free to express their opinion. I fear collisions. I fear bloodshed, arrests, deportation. I fear the effect on the whole Polish question. The Polish question has been giving the world a headache for five centuries. <laughs> and after Stalin gave that speech, she then said... You're only supposed to blow the bloody doors off! <laughs> <laughs> That's a film clip that Ray came up with. Like a telly movie or that. something. Uh Michael Caine as Joseph Stalin, like what the motherfucking fuck? A tall, skinny Englishman playing a short, <laughs> fat Russian. 
Why would you get Michael Caine to play Stalin? John Lithgow as Roosevelt. Bob Hoskins as Churchill. You did a good job. Who's Churchill... I think mine's is better, but... <laughs> and Ed Begley Jr. as Harry Hopkins. Well, um, yeah. Oh, what's it called? Uh, lions. When, when Lions Roared. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Good fire, my friend. Thank you. So, um, yeah. And... But the dialogue in that is actually fairly accurate. It's taken straight out of the Yalta record. What I find interesting is that, so, I mean, obviously Stalin is lying about the independent part of Poland, uh, but the point is it does have to be closed down. It does have to be secured. It has to be done from the inside. So where the border is going to go, whatever, we can make that up, whatever, whoever's going to be in the government, we can talk about that. But the point is whoever's in charge of Warsaw, they have to be taking their lead from Moscow because Moscow can only be safe if, if, uh, Poland is secure if it's strong, if it has a strong military. But obviously, if you have a strong military, then you have to be under con- the control of mom Russia because they're not going to trust you. So he's he's basically telling them not the entire truth. This this will be secure because we are going to secure it. We are going to control it. We are going to make it strong. And that way we will never be attacked again like we have been in the last 30 years where we've lost millions of our people and billions of dollars of industry. This is ridiculous. We have to do something about it now. And we finally are at a point in our history where we can. And by gum, we're going to. And... Churchill's whole argument that he made about, well, we took a terrible risk and we went to war to defend Poland and we weren't prepared and it nearly cost us our lives as a nation. Stalin's like, motherfucker, (laughs) no one has expended more blood and more money to kick the Nazis out than we have. So, you know, it's not much of an argument. Again, I just feel like Churchill and Roosevelt have just gone into this thing with nothing. No negotiating platform no argument uh apart from yeah do us a solid (laughs) um now (sighs) stalin became agitated during this discussion according to meisky's own report on it stalin asked for a 10 minute recess and then he came back and started speaking after the break where suddenly stalin stood up hitherto he had always spoken seated and made a broad gesture with his right arm. He wanted to leave the table and start walking from one corner of the room to the other, as he often did during conversations in his own office, but he caught himself in time and refrained. At a conference of the Big Three, such behaviour was not entirely appropriate. Accordingly, Stalin merely pushed back his chair and gaining some free space and to speak with unusual fervour. Um... And we heard a bit of that with, um, with what's his face? Michael Caine. Michael Caine, kicking ass. My name is Michael Caine. Uh, <laughs> he, um, you know, basically took Churchill's theme that the solution to the Polish question was a matter of honour for the British and said it's also a matter of honour for the Russians, who, he said, had greatly sinned in the past against Poland. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, you know, for for them it was a matter of national security because they'd been invaded twice, etc. But it's interesting that he said that uh, this is why Russia today is against the czarist policy of the abolition of Poland. We have completely changed this inhuman policy and started a policy of friendship and independence for Poland. 
was how he positioned it. So again, it's good. It's a good spin. He's like, hey, it could be worse. I could be the czar saying wipe any kind of idea of an independent Poland out of your minds because I'm not going to allow it. I will allow an independent, strong Poland. And of course, what he's not saying is because and I'm going to control it. So again, he's he's got to spin it because he knows he's dealing with a delicate issue. He knows he's dealing with the Western powers. But at the same time, he is not going to give an inch because one, he can't. And two, he doesn't have to. Yeah, and he's actually saying that, look, we are not going to destroy Poland as the Russian Empire wanted to. We're not questioning the right to exist, but we're not going to allow them to have complete independence either. We want to have a strong Poland, but one that makes sure that we're going to be protected. And in order to do that, we kind of have to dominate the security of the state completely at least at this stage and for the foreseeable future, because they're too weak to defend themselves. That's obvious. And Churchill... I'm sorry, go ahead. No, you go. And and Churchill brought up a very interesting point. After after Stalin makes his, for him, an impassioned speech, probably the only one that he makes during Yalta... Churchill gets right back into the saddle because Churchill is really, he's really up for this fight. And he says, again, I have to have it on the record that we have alternative facts or whatever exact words that he uses, because he's basically saying that um, the Soviet guards are going in there. They're deporting people. They're killing people. People are disappearing um, from the streets. Um, You're you're driving people away. The home guard, the Polish home guard is being de-armed and Stalin's going to come back at him and say, basically, yeah, they're killing my men. And as long as the home guard keeps fighting us in Poland, that we can't secure our base and then continue to move forward past the Vistula. So they're they're both coming at each other with their own facts. But the the truth is they're both right. The Polish home guard are attacking Soviet troops because the Soviet troops are trying to de-arm and and put them into camps or to arrest them or whatever. So it's already gotten ugly. There's already fighting on the ground. The two Polish governments are talking to each other. What in the hell are they going to do? But to a degree, again, doesn't matter. Stalin is there. The the, uh, Lublin government is there. And possession is 11 tenths of the law. And again, we have to remember that it's only... 23, 24 years since uh, the Treaty of Riga after the Poles invaded Russia when they were weak. So the Russians remember that. Oh, yeah. This is personal. The the Poles remember that the Red Army just sat outside the border and waited for the Nazis to kill them all before they came in. So there's a lot of bad blood between these guys. There's no way they're going to get over that in any sense of a hurry. Now, according to the Soviet protocol of the meeting, The Soviet government had already deviated from Lenin's position because he didn't want to accept the Curzon line. Stalin asked whether the Allies wanted the Soviet leaders to be less Russian than Curzon and Clemenceau, (laughs) referring, of course, to George Clemenceau, Prime Minister of France during the First World War, one of the principal architects of the Treaty of Versailles and the Paris Priest Conference in 1919, which is part and parcel of the Curzon line. What would the Ukrainians say if they accepted accepted the Allies' proposals? They might say that Stalin and Molotov had turned out to be less reliable defenders of the Russians and the Ukrainians than Curzon and Clemenceau. In what light would Stalin appear then on his return to Moscow? No, it was better to let the war against the Germans go on a little longer, but the Soviet Union had to be in a position to compensate Poland in the West at Germany's expense. 
Damn. Yeah. And and I just love this whole part about, no, no. I mean, he's basically sounding like FDR and Churchill. No, I can't go back with this. I mean, everybody will be mad at me. Maybe they'll revolt. <laughs> Maybe they'll assassinate me. No, I have to be careful. Ah, please help me. Bullshit. Yeah. Which is a bit hard to take seriously. Although, yeah. you know, I mean, there is some truth to the fact that um, he's, he can't appear to be weak. That's uh, true. But, you know, he's probably, he's definitely not weak. I mean, yeah. he's, he's the uh, safest man in Soviet Russia. Yeah. Um, but he is willing to make a concession. He's willing to make some changes to the curse online in favor of Poland. But he's going to take land away from Germany mm-hmm. to do that. That's fair. Uh, and I put a map on Facebook, on the Facebook uh, Cold War page. You did, yes. Excellent map. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, uh, as you say, he accuses the, the the Poles of attacking the Soviets, and Churchill says, well, we have different information. <laughs> but this is the bit that I like the most. So Stalin then attacks Churchill's idea of creating the form of a new Polish government at Yalta. He says... <laughs> Just add water. Oh, I'm afraid it was a slip of the tongue, for without participation of the Poles, it is impossible to create a Polish government. I am called a dictator and not a democrat, but even I have enough democratic feeling to refuse to create a Polish government without the Poles even being consulted. <clears throat> Another and Munich. then he says, yeah. should we not ask the Warsaw Poles to come here or perhaps to <laughs> Moscow? And then he dropped the fucking mic and walked out of the room. So he didn't say the government exile. He didn't say bring. He just said the the Warsaw Poles, my Poles, the ones who are going to be the fucking leaders of the country because I said so. He was like, look, we can't do this without the Poles. So bring them here or let's meet in Moscow and let the Poles be part of the conversation. That would be the democratic thing to do, not just the three of us sitting around deciding the future of Poland. Like, what kind of animals are you? Shame, shame on you, gentlemen. Yes, that's just totally best, messed up. It's the best fucking comeback in history. <laughs> do we do we want to talk about, basically does the same thing in Ukraine. They set up a, a government there. Um, I don't know if we want to go into it, but basically Stalin is getting ready. He's setting up these countries. Don't get me wrong. They're going to be, you know, quote unquote, independent. There's going to be lines around a map, but they are definitely going to be controlled from Moscow. And if he's lucky, he might be able to get them into the United Nations uh, to, you know, to have more allies on his side. So Stalin knows he's going to win the war. The war for all intents and purposes is over. He's thinking about the many tomorrows to come, and he is setting himself up militarily and politically, just an utterly brilliant move on his part. Now, at least a couple of the Americans present were impressed by Stalin's line of argument. Justice Burns later wrote, Marshal Stalin replied with an impassioned statement. It was the only time during the entire conference that Stalin exhibited his strong feelings in such a manner. Charlie Bolin wrote, A sure clue to the gravity of the problem was Stalin's getting up and walking up and down behind his chair while expounding his points. 
His best debating skill stood out on the Polish question. Drew Pearson, who was one of American's leading journalists at the time, writing for the Washington Post, wrote that according to Americans who were present, Stalin had said, are we going to discriminate in favour of the government which fled to England and remained there in safety? Or are we going to recognise the Lublin government which remained in Poland and risk the danger of fighting underground. Did your army liberate Poland, Mr. Churchill? Did your army liberate Poland, Mr. President? Boom! Dropped the mic again, a second time, walked out of the room again. And there were crickets. (laughs) Now, there's no comeback for that. There's no answer for that. Now, apparently he never actually said those things. Pearson made it up, but it kind of captures the sense of where he was going with his argument. And he's right. Like, fuck you, we liberated Poland, and he's right, the Lublin Poles are the ones who stayed, the rest ran away, like de Gaulle ran away. You know, if you run away and don't stay yeah. and fight, well, fuck you. Why you should you the, get power afterwards? Yeah, you lose the, the moral high ground. And the other thing for Stalin, and this is a real situation, because, again, he doesn't have anything to fear, but this is real. The Ukrainians make up the second largest um, nationality in his country. So is he, as far as going back to the border, is he supposed to take territory for them and piss them off all for the sake of Poland? Hell no. He's going to take more land from Germany, give that to the western side of Poland. But yeah, he's definitely going to take Lviv, Lvov, Lvov, whatever you want to call it. And that is going (laughs) back to the Ukrainians because he's got to make them happy because he's going to need them in the future. It's going to take Bell, Biv, and (laughs) DeVoe and take them back. Um, Yeah, and, you know, fair enough. Take land away from Germany. That makes total sense to me. As I keep saying, you want to create Israel, should have created Israel in Germany. Carved it out, moved all the Germans out, said, hey, Jews, boom, big fucking piece of land. It's yours. Go for it. You know, you you deserve it. Um, You know, this comment that Churchill made that there wasn't a lot of support for the Lublin Poles in Poland, Stalin retorted, I must say that the Warsaw government has a democratic base equal, at least, to that of de Gaulle. Again, boom. Damn. Yo, yeah, he- he's fucking firing with both guns, man. <laughs> Not only pull out both guns, turn them sideways, jump backwards, <laughs> doves are flying around, boom, 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 boom. He's just coming at him with both barrels. Well, the way I think of it is he's got a fanny pack on and in front of it's unzipped and he's got microphones. And every time he says something, he just grabs a microphone and throws it down. Boom, 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 boom. (laughs) Maisky's just handing him a microphone. He drops it, gains him another one, drops it. (laughs) He's like, damn, boss, damn. What what the hell, damn guy? Another thing he didn't say but could have, as I indicated earlier, was, yeah, look, when the U.S. pulls out of Hawaii, we'll pull out of Poland. When the U.K. pulls out of the Falklands... We'll pull yeah. out of Poland. I'm like, sorry, Vegas all over. I'll pull out when you pull out. <laughs> butt plug! Butt plug! <laughs> uh, I'm tired. Okay. Uh, now, just to wrap up, yes. uh, <laughs> Harry Hopkins was uh, probably the first to realize that there was no point <laughs> in uh, continuing a discussion. Uh, there was no way to refute Stalin's data without 
causing a major scandal about the Polish attack in the uh, uh, Soviets. You can only just call him a liar to his face right. once. Uh, no. Not going to get you anywhere. So in the middle of Stalin's big speech, Hopkins passes a note to the president. Where he says, why not let this wind up today when Stalin is through? Say we'll talk it over again tomorrow. It's 7.15. It's getting past my bedtime. Right. And uh, you're drooling all over the table. <laughs> That's right. Again. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but Stal- but so yeah, so it's going to end up or whatever. But FDR is like, no, I have to have a game changer. I have to come up with something. I have to get through to Stalin, who's been dropping mics all day long. I know. I'll write him a heart to heart letter. Yeah. So as we mentioned when we did this in brief a few episodes ago. Um, yeah. After it's all wrapped up for the night, Roosevelt writes Joe a letter. He says, I've been giving a great deal of thought to our meeting this afternoon, and I want to tell you, in all frankness, what is on my mind. I don't know why I do accents for the other two, but never for Roosevelt. I've got to do that for the Americans. Give it a try. Insofar as the Polish government is concerned, I am greatly disturbed. This is my my 1920s uh, American aristocrat uh, accent. (laughs) F. Scott Fitzgerald with a bit of mark in front of him. I am greatly disturbed that the three great powers do not have a meeting of the minds about the political setup in Poland. It seems to me that it puts all of us in a bad light throughout the world to have you recognizing one government while we in the British recognize another in London. I am sure this state of affairs should not continue. And if it does, it can only lead our people to think there is a breach between us, which is not the case. I am determined that there shall be no breach between ourselves and the Soviet Union. I have had to make it clear to you that we cannot recognize the Lublin government as now composed. And the world would regard it as a lamentable outcome of our work here if we parted with an open and obvious divergence between us on the issue. You must believe me when I tell you that our people at home look with a critical eye on what they consider a disagreement between us at this vital stage of the war. They, in effect, say that if we cannot get a meeting of the minds now, when our armies are converging on the common enemy, how can we get an understanding on even more vital things in the future? Mm. And here's the other part of it. Do you remember the, uh, the, the League of Nations that the United States didn't join? If this whole Poland deal goes down badly, the American people and the politicians might not want to join the United Nations. Mm. And I think in that letter, Roosevelt really put his finger on the fault line Mm -hmm. of the Grand Alliance. And if they can't agree on these things now... How are they going to agree on more important things than the butt plug of Europe in the future? Uh, I was just going to say, to me, when I read that letter, um, it was pretty much, in a nice way, uh, FDR going, you know what? Yeah, I recognize the reality of the situation, but I had to get in there and give it my all. Let's work this out. Let's not fight over this, because the only way they can change the, the situation in Poland is to go to war with the Soviet Union, and that's not going to happen. So 
I, I recognize you let me you let me get up there and I tried and you gave your speech so we can all say we all, we all did our best but I pretty much give in and I see the writing on the wall that that's what I got out of the letter that he had tried because he basically says I don't want to do anything to upset you I can kind of tell what's going to happen next but that's just my I, take on it I gave it the old college try exactly exactly. Boland, Charles Boland again, Roosevelt's translator, American diplomat, later said that he thought the last line of that was a mistake. Mm. He wrote in his memoirs, that last line again was, believe me when I tell you that our people at home look with a critical eye on what they consider a disagreement between us and they're going to be worried about whether or not we can work together later. He wrote, in retrospect, I believe it was perhaps a mistake to include the sentence since Stalin considered references to American public opinion in the same category of nonsense as his references to the will of the Supreme Soviet. <laughs> Don't you mean the Soviet Congress, that, that deep-thinking body mm. of people that led the great country that is Soviet Russia? Yeah, like, so Stalin's whole line about, I have to worry about perception back home, he knew that was as much bullshit as he considered Roosevelt and... But it sounds good. Roosevelt's thing on the it people. It sounds good. Harriman wrote, it would have been... Sorry, it would have taken a great deal more leverage than Roosevelt and Churchill in fact possessed in order to alter the situation fundamentally. And I think he's right. They had nothing to bargain with at this particular point in time. And Stalin had the Red Army in possession of Poland, and they had nothing. Yeah. Or did they? <gasps> so here's my thing on this, Ray. All right. I know you liked to That's, see my thing, so please, I'll whip it Please, I've been waiting for this three hours. I don't think they brought enough cards to the table here. If I was in Roosevelt's position and mm -hmm. the Polish question was as important as he's making out, I would have thought to myself, well, what does Stalin want? Right. Well, we already know what Stalin wants. He wants a border. He wants warm water ports. Oh. And he wants reparations. He wants money to rebuild the Soviet economy. Mm -hmm. What if Roosevelt had said, well, look, if you give us what we want in Poland, uh, fair and free elections and whatever, we will give you $10 billion to add towards your reconstruction. By the way, we're getting pretty close to building an atomic bomb. <laughs> we'll bring you in on the deal. You probably already know that because you've infiltrated <laughs> us, but we'll bring you in on that. By the way, we will also throw in a new set of steak knives and a shit ton of tanks and weapons so you can protect your border. We will come and help you build a big fucking wall and we'll get the Polish to pay for it. <laughs> we, you know, there's a lot of things well, that, yes. that they could have brought to the negotiating table if they really, really wanted to get agreements from... Yes and no, because here's how I think Stalin would have reacted to it. You could have given me warm water ports. You can give me $10 billion. You can give me 10,000 tanks, 10,000 planes, 100,000 guns, whatever. But unless Poland is secured, 
I'm going to unfortunately have to use every single one of those weapons when Germany or whoever comes at me again. What I want to do is hopefully never fight again. If I can control Poland and if there is to be a fight, it's going to be there. It's not going to be in Russia. So to me, no matter what you give him, if you take away the one thing that he needs is that Polish quarter closed down, it's not going to be as high on his list of priorities. But that's just me second guessing him. Well, you might be right, but they didn't even put it on the right, table absolutely. is what I'm saying. Absolutely. Like, they did not. In, in preparing for these episodes, I kept thinking, they're not bringing anything to the table. Like, like I've been in sales my entire life, right? Mm-hmm. So I know that when you, you're trying to get someone to do something, you want to convince them to buy something, you come at it from, well, what do they want? What's really important to them? Right. How can I make that come true for them and in turn get what I need. You know, when I'm writing a marketing strategy for a client and I'm doing an analysis of their customers, what I'm always saying to my clients is, okay, let's do a profile of the people who are your customers, work out what's important to them. What do they really need? What do they want? What's, What's one of the things that keep them up at night? what are their ambitions? What are the things that will make them happy? Mm-hmm. And see if we can help those come true in return for getting them to do business with us. What can we do to, you know, to, 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 to get the deal done? Right. If you want to get it done, you come at it with everything. And they didn't come at this at with anything apart from do us a solid, Joe. That's and, it. And, yeah, I mean, and Cam's using uh, today's uh, words, but that's pretty much what they did come with. I mean, it was literally, it would be a grand gesture. We would respect you. You would have our admiration. I mean, that is literally what they ganged up on him with the idea of you giving us something for nothing and we'll really think highly of you against, I mean, that's, that's, you know, uh, using that against Stalin makes no sense whatsoever. And the other question I had is what if Stalin had been willing to give up some of these Polish issues? Would it have prevented the Cold War? Ooh. I think the Cold War still comes, different time, different form, different intensity. Um, What do you think? I think if it hadn't have been Poland, it would have been another excuse. Yeah. Yeah. Particularly... After the Americans get the bomb. Right. That's what I was. Yeah. And I mean, you just, it's just different ways of life, different modes of thinking. They're not ever going to get along the way they need to. And as we'll see when we get to those episodes, Truman's position, once he has the bomb, once the tests are confirmed. <laughs> he doesn't. It doesn't help. Is like, well, fuck Stalin. We have the bomb. I don't give a shit what he wants. Don't give a shit. Don't care. Not my problem. We got the bomb. I don't have to care anymore. I think I don't have to care anymore. Yeah. And, you know, they didn't until uh, Stalin had the bomb too. And then it was like, oh, shit. Now we're going to get back to the table. (laughs) I care. Anyway. I care again. Uh, We'll get to that in a future episode. That is the end of day three of the Alter Conference. It's taken us nearly as many hours as they spent to talk about it. But, hey, this is the fucking serious version of understanding the history, folks. We're not going to fluff over it. Too much fluffing going on anyway. (laughs) 
between shows, but not, yes, uh, this is serious. Mom. An iron curtain has descended across the continent. military buildup on the island of Cuba. The purpose of these bases can be none other than to provide a nuclear strike capability against the Western Hemisphere. <laughs> 